0: Uh, well it's uh, official these Olympic Games have been declared the worst ever um, and, for, and I think that's probably from the uh, athletes um, my the report I read was the athletes weren't weren't too happy with it uh, so Brisbane 2032 we better do a better job uh, but I was reading of um, Jacqueline Narcott did you hear about Jacqueline Narcott She's an Australian. Uh, She won a silver medal in the women's skeleton. I don't know if you've seen the skeleton race. It's like you just go head first down this ice tube at over 125 kilometres an hour on this tiny little frame with no brakes. It's madness. Madness on ice, I would say. But uh, she has bravely broken records. She's won silver. Generally, I would say silver is just first loser, but in this case, um, you know, we're celebrating with her. This is a good effort, because she comes from Brisbane as well. What do we know about snow and ice up here? Um, But she's won the fourth gold medal uh, for Australia in the Winter Olympics, and this is the first ever Australian medal in a sliding event, Uh, so she's breaking records. Uh, We're cheering with her. Uh, The paper stated that Jackie Narricourt's winning formula was to fall in love with a competitor, pick his brain, and then max out their credit cards. Uh, Sounds pretty simple. Um, In fact, as I was reading the article, uh, I learned that it was a bit more energetic than that. She has begged, borrowed, and bludged assistance and coaching, training, and medical help from the Poms, the Danes, the Canadians, and the South Koreans, as well as Australia. Uh, She has also gone to the bank of mum and dad, and it's estimated just over $100,000 uh, was withdrawn from that account, all in an effort to get a silver medal. Now, Australia celebrates with her for such single-minded determination, which has resulted in a win. Australia's pretty good at noticing a win in the sporting arena, aren't we? I think we're pretty good at that. Uh, I want to ask the question today, what does a win look like in a gospel-centred life? How do we know if, if we're winning in a gospel-centered life? That's what we're taking a look at today. That's our question that we're wanting to answer from Philippians 1, 12 through 26. And I want to show you that Paul says that a gospel win in, or a win in a gospel-centered life is the gospel going and the gospel growing. So we're going to take a look at those two things as they come out of this passage in, in the second part of Philippians 1. Let's have a look with me. The gospel going. A win in gospel-centered life is found in the gospel going. And that's what we learn from Paul's prison diaries. Take a look at verse 12. In verse 12 he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. I am in prison with all its discomfort and its brutality. There is a question mark about my future. Will it be decapitation or will I be released? And my situation is causing you grief. But please understand that what has happened to me is actually served to advance the gospel. The gospel is going. Paul's measure of effectiveness, his reason for joy is not his situational well-being, but it's gospel advance, gospel going. And he says, the view from my jail cell is very encouraging. Firstly, I have a captive audience. Take a look at verse 13. He says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ palace guard could be up to 9,000 soldiers. Pretty big audience. Paul says, these guys, the whole palace guard, know that I am in chains for Christ. I am the apostle to the Gentiles. And here I have a captive audience of 9,000 soldiers. How good is this? Uh, He's flipping things around a bit, isn't he? Uh, Plus their families. And they are hearing and aware of the fact that I am in prison for the cause of Christ. What an opportunity. Wouldn't you love to have a mindset like that, that no matter what your worldly uh, condition was or your worldly situation, whether you're facing some aspect of anxiety or some aspect of great happiness, uh, that you could find joy in knowing Jesus and furthering the gospel. The gospel by God's hand and through my troubles has snuck into the very stronghold of those seeking to oppose my mission that's what Paul is saying I'm a Trojan horse but I bring life instead of death uh, but that's only the half of it now that's what's happening on the inside of the fort take a look at verse 14 my imprisonment is having an impact on the outside as well because of my chains most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear Because I'm in prison, says Paul, for declaring the gospel, the brothers and sisters are more encouraged, they are more bold to go out and to declare the gospel. How does that work? We're going to consider that in just a minute. But Paul's point is that the authorities thought that they could contain this virus, but in fact they have dropped the Petri dish, haven't they? Uh, The gospel message is spreading everywhere. Paul is like this super spreader. Uh, That's a terminology that we're used to these days, isn't it? Paul is a super spreader, a big gospel sneeze. Wherever he is, the gospel goes out. So go and be a gospel sneeze. Paul is saying that what had appeared to be the worst possible outcome for the gospel actually turned out to be the best. On the 8th of January in 1956, a young man, husband and missionary jumped excitedly from a plane which had delivered him and four companions to a destination that they had been planning on and working towards and raising funds for for over 12 years. A lot of effort had gone into this project. They were missionaries taking their first steps towards taking the gospel to the Orca Indians of South America. Within the hour, Jim Elliott... And his four companions were all dead, speared by the ones they had come to save. What on earth was God doing to allow that all that time, all that effort, all that finance to go to waste? What was God doing to let such an obvious gospel opportunity go untapped? Uh, Jim Elliott invested a huge amount of work. And a huge amount of effort, and for all all accounts, he was very gifted, very passionate. But under God's hand, he spent a total of no minutes in gospel ministry on the mission field. What a waste. Well, that's what I'm tempted to think. But you know, as you read the history of that, or as history reveals, over the next 20 years, because of Eliot's example, huge numbers of young people were signing up for missionary duty. So in God's economy, this hadn't been a waste of time at all. This had worked for the good of the gospel, for the gospel going. And from a human perspective, it was all wrong. That's not how you advance something. But from God's perspective, this was exactly what he was looking for. Gospel-heartedness is catchy. I find that when I read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, I don't know if you've ever come across that book. It's just a record of Christians' uh, from long ages past who have died for their faith and as i read their confidence and as i read their commitment to to testifying jesus in the even in the face of death that i feel more bold inside uh, i know that when i'm mixing with uh, my christian family who are christian friends and uh, church family who are spreading the gospel that i am more encouraged to spread the gospel the gospel boldness is kind of catchy And Paul calls it the foolishness of the cross, where God, in His infinite wisdom, builds His kingdom through weak and fragile people, sharing a foolish message to a hostile world. And it works, because here we are, two thousand years later, and the gospel is still going out. And it should encourage us. Uh, We don't, we don't have to feel brave. We don't have to feel in control. We don't have to have it all nailed down. God will use us in our weakness and in the weakness of our situations for gospel going. You reckon that's good? I'm encouraged by that. God can use us in our weakness, in the weakness of our situations, in the messiness of life to take his gospel out, to use us for gospel going. Even when motives are messed up, Take a look at verses 15 through 17. And Paul says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The later do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Among these brothers and sisters who have been emboldened to preach the gospel... There are mixed motives, some out of goodwill, others out of envy and rivalry, seeking to stir up trouble. Uh, we were chatting about this at Growth Group the other morning. Uh, what does that look like? How, to, how can you preach the gospel out of envy? It kind of... Well, uh, firstly, let's say the, the ones who are preaching out of envy are not preaching another gospel. So Paul's clear, isn't he? Because uh, he says... Uh, Even though their motives are wrong, I rejoice that Christ is being proclaimed. So it's not another gospel. They are actually preaching the gospel, the true gospel, but they're preaching it with wrong motives. What would that look like? Uh, I think it's hard, hard to reflect on that a little bit, but I was thinking about what would it look like in me if I was preaching out of wrong motives? What does that look like? It looks like... Me wanting MPC just to grow for my own reputation. Looks like me controlling everything so that uh, so that my reputation and my renown grows rather than uh, what's good for Gospel Kingdom. I think for MPC it'd be like we're sucking in all the resources from around, being a big church, having a big youth program or a big kids club, and it's it, everyone new comes into us and we just grow bigger and bigger and and give no thought to the the Presbytery of North Brisbane? Are there other struggling churches where we can send people to, where we can redirect some resources, who we can help out intentionally? Uh, you see how rivalry, after a while, it becomes all about us and not about Jesus, all about our empire expanding and not extending the kingdom of God. Uh, be on our guard. I've asked you before if it ever looks like my motives uh, for me and my reputation call me out. Uh, Please do, please do. Paul says, verse 18, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether for false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Ministry from rivalry and envy will usually result in hurt and heartache. But even then, God can use that For his purposes. Paul chooses not to let that hurt or heartache obscure his view. Uh, If the gospel is going out, then I rejoice. It's not my comfort, it's not my reputation that matter, it's the gospel. I wonder if we adopted that view, what our church might look like. It'd be a good place to be, wouldn't it? Uh, It'd be a good church to be a part of Paul's saying, the gospel is my GPS. <clears throat> uh, that's how I know I'm, I'm in Brisbane, haven't lived here before. Uh, <clears throat> the way I know that I'm in track is that if my GPS, if the little picture of my car is still on the purple line on my GPS. <clears throat> Last night, uh, we were out coming home, um, not paying attention. I kept leaving the purple line. It takes a lot longer to get home when you're not on the purple line. <clears throat> But Paul says, I rejoice when Christ is proclaimed, when his name is going out. The gospel is my GPS. Uh, It directs me. Uh, It helps me to know if I'm going in the right direction. God can use difficult situations. He can use mixed motives. And he can use flawed people for the spread of the gospel, the gospel going out. And for that, I'm most grateful and thankful. The one thing God does not use is a church that does not speak. Notice that Paul's rejoicing in the boldness of whoever's preaching the gospel. You've been placed in your life situation by the God of the universe. He called you before the creation of the world to be his and to do good works that he has prepared beforehand for you to do. It's Ephesians. Do you think that he is not aware of your troubles or your fears? Do you think that these things are beyond him? Think on, Paul's, uh, think on Paul's testimony. 180-degree turnaround, wasn't he? He was actually against the church. He wasn't, he wasn't looking for Jesus. He was actively against Jesus, and God worked in his life uh, and, and worked in him to great effect, didn't he? He can work in us as well. God's purpose is to bring glory to himself through setting apart a people for himself, through the gospel of Jesus Christ and empowering them by the Holy Spirit to take that gospel of salvation to the ends of the earth. That's our, that's our goal. What is MPC on about? We're growing followers of Jesus. What does that look like? It means that we glorify God in the way we live and in, in seeking to take that gospel message out. And Paul says from his prison cell, because of this, I rejoice. True joy is found in Jesus. A life without Christ will lack such irrepressible joy. It will also lack an eternal, uh, a happy eternity. There's another thing that counts as a win in a gospel-centered life, and a reason, and the reason why Paul uh, rejoices, and that is gospel growing. So we've got gospel going, that causes Paul great joy, and gospel growing. This also causes great joy for Paul take a look at verse 18 through 20 he says yes and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Jesus Christ what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance note that word we'll come back to it I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. I have hope, says Paul. My situation may seem dire, my reputation may be battered, but through the prayers of the church and the work of the Spirit, my salvation is assured and my life can honour Christ. Uh, I use Waze as my GPS app. I don't know if you've uh, seen Waze. I kind of like it. It's kind of a social social media app. Uh, meets Google Maps kind of thing. Tells you where the police are, so that's always helpful. Um, just for interest. Um, but it never. what I've noticed about Brisbane, it never takes me the same way twice. So I never know. I, I find it very hard to figure out where I am in Brisbane. I'm just following ways. I'm just travelling all over the place. So I go past a, I go, go past a building and I go, oh, I recognise that building from somewhere before. So I never know exactly where I am but I am assured that I will reach my destination if I stay on that purple line. I don't know where I am, but I know that I'm going to reach the right destination. Well, I I trust that I will reach the right destination. Paul's confidence is not in an app, but it's in the work of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus in him, and in partnership with the Philippians as I hold him up in prayer. It's, It's amazing, isn't it? Look at the place that Paul gives prayer. In the Christian life, so I hope we're convinced we need the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, um, our hearts are not open to the gospel. Without the Holy Spirit, we won't have His fruit at work in our lives. We won't have that boldness. We won't have an understanding of the gospel. We won't, or or God's Word. Uh, We won't be. uh, He won't be moving our conscience in the right direction. Uh, And I think we'd all be convinced of that. Is that true? Yeah, we know the place of the Spirit in our life. But note the place of prayer as well. Paul puts great confidence in prayer. It's not just talking to the ceiling. This is committing uh, our fellow Christians, our brothers and sisters, before the Lord in prayer, calling on God to be, be watching over them, to use them, to keep working in them, And Paul's deliverance here is not deliverance from prison. He's not saying, oh, trust that I'll be out of prison. He's saying that on that last day, when I stand before the the king and judge of all the world on the day of Christ Jesus, I will be declared right with him. So that's the deliverance he's talking about. As a church family, as followers of Jesus, we have the same cause of confidence. You see, where does that confidence come from? comes from the spirit in us and knowing that our church family are praying with us. That's my confidence. Keep praying. Keep saying grace. Uh, During the week, I had, uh, well, I had fun, actually. I got to buy a new mountain bike, so that was cool. Um, I went riding with one of my brothers, completely destroyed my bike, absolutely destroyed it. So I took it into the bike shop um, and saw a new one there and thought, we'll buy that. It's a longer story than that, but anyway, essentially that's what happened. And as I was getting it, I said to the guy, this looks too flash for me, It looks I'm gonna get out there and it's like, yeah, that's the guy. All the gear and no idea. And, um, and the guy said, well, this bike will make you a better rider. <laughs> Salesman's pitch, I reckon. This bike will make you a better rider. And so I took it out on the ride and promptly fell off. So there we go. But I always fall off, so that was nothing new. Um, how will we hang on for the day of delivery? The Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of all believers. He gives us not only the ability to believe, but his fruit and his gifts so that our lives will reflect the character of Christ and his priorities. Uh, so my bike might make me a better rider, but the Holy Spirit will be at work in us. He will bring us to completion. That's, we have that hope. We have that promise, isn't it? Verse, chapter 1, verse 6. I'm confident of this: that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion the day of Christ. Uh, so the Holy Spirit's at work in us, and He has given us a church family to pray, to pray for us. So please pray for one another. Uh, in just, uh, I think in March we're looking at releasing the the, f- uh, the photo directory of the church. Um, in past churches, I've we've crossed out phone directory; we've called it prayer directory. Uh, with helpful photos and phone numbers of people in our congregation. But it's a good practice to pray through the, the directory of the church. Uh, pick however many people per week and pray for the church family. And if you don't know what to pray for them, have a look at how Paul prays for the Philippians and 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 pray for our church family in that way. Continue saying grace and continue praying for Hamish because he really needs it. Continue doing that. I'm very encouraged to hear that many people are doing it. What I want you to know is, is that we cannot say that prayer is just an optional part of the Christian life. It's not, for the super, it's not just for super spiritual people. Uh, it's an act of love to speak to our Heavenly Father. And it is an act of love to remember each other in prayer. And it's a great way to foster love for one another. It's very hard to continue being angry, angry with someone that you're praying for. Paul is confident in God's provision for him now and the goal of his faith. And so he says, for me, my mindset, my conviction, my north point, my compass is that for me to live is Christ, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a very popular verse. A lot of people can quote that one. But what does Paul mean? We'll take a look at verse 22. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what will I choose? I do not know. So he says in this present life, this life with its use by date, I will seek to serve the Lord Jesus Christ by serving others. If I'm in Lydia's mansion in Philippi, sweet, I'll preach the word and I'll build the church. If I'm stuck in this stinking prison, I'll write letters and I'll chat with the guards. Uh, I'm glad he wrote letters, aren't you? I think God put Paul in prison on purpose, gave him to write letters so that we'd have things to read. Uh, but you see his attitude doesn't. However, whatever situation I'm put in in this life, I will use it to serve to, for the gospel growing. While I'm breathing, I'll engage in fruitful gospel labour. Is that your desire? Is that your heart's desire? While I'm breathing, I might be a, a billboard to Jesus. While I'm breathing, I might be speaking the words of life to a, a world that is completely lost. And when I'm not breathing in this current world, I'll be in, in the unveiled presence of my glorious Saviour. That's something to look forward to. Take a look at verse 23. <clears throat> I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far, better by far. To depart this life and to be with Christ is better by far. That should be food for meditation, shouldn't it? To reflect on however good this life is for you at the moment, eternity is better. Wherever you are, you are tempted to invest in this life, eternity is going to be better. I have lots of reasons to hang out in this life. Lots of very good reasons to want to stay and live here. got a brand new mountain bike. I've got to go and ride that and fall off it a few bit more. But what I read here and what I need to understand is that the best is yet to come. Paul says it is better to depart and be with Christ. So let me ask, is that your heart's desire at the moment? Is that your soul's desire? So many funerals I've done, people are saying, oh, such and such, gone to a better place. Apart from the gospel, you will not be going to a better place. Apart from Christ, that is not true. But in Christ, it is more true than words can express. There was an uh, evangelist in the end of the 1800s, D.L. Moody. Uh, he was in America, American evangelist. He said this Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Norfield is dead. Don't believe it, a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. Uh, he will be dead in this world. But he will be more alive. He will be in heaven in the unveiled presence of his Saviour for all eternity. Won't that be a great day? You looking forward to that? Yeah, I reckon. The best is yet to come and that changes everything. It means that given the choice of best now or the good of others now, Paul will choose the good of others. Gospel growth. Take a look, verse 24. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. See, I prefer to go and be with Christ. But I can see that I've got work to do here yet. I want to encourage you. And so I can see that God's going to call me to remain in the body, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue to be with all of you and for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. It is far more necessary that I stay, he says in verse 24, the best is yet to come. So I can serve now, I can spend now, Uh, I cannot lose, I I can work hard for your growth. That sums up Paul's heart for the church. I'd love for that to sum up my heart for the church. I can spend my whole life for your good now, because the best is yet to come. Again, just imagine, uh, what would our church be like if that was our attitude, if that was the way we lived That was our north point. Notice this is not a glum, joyless exercise devoid of blessing. Verse 18, I rejoice. Verse 25 and 26, I will experience the joy and blessing of serving your progress. Friends, when it comes to gospel advance and the good of the church, we cannot lose. We're living out our calling now, looking forward to our glory to come. We are doing what Christ has saved us to do. Elizabeth Elliot was Jim's widow. Um, there's a picture of them. They weren't married very long when, when he was speared to death. Uh, long enough, I think she um, she was either pregnant at the time or they had a young young baby. Uh, but Elizabeth Elliot went back to that tribe, and she actually uh, and she preached there. She taught them the Bible, and the man who killed her husband under her ministry became a follower of Jesus. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? She spent her life seeking the good of those who had done her great harm. Uh, It's an odd mission. Ours is an odd mission, isn't it, in this fallen world? At times, from a worldly perspective, it really doesn't make sense, and it seldom looks like a win. But here in Philippians, I see that Paul is very clear. A gospel win is Christ-proclaimed, His name glorified, his cause advanced, gospel going. And the church promoted, his people encouraged and served in honour of his name, gospel growing. Let me close with this entry from Jim Elliott's journal entry, not long before he died. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose.